Hey, you're listening to Guat.Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm your host, Kenny Price. Guat.Rocks is all about advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. Well, I've got some bad news and good news before we start our actual podcast today. I'll start with the bad news first. I got rid of my chair, my classic chair. Uh, the good news is you won't hear pops anymore and squeaks from the chair. And I did find a great deal online for a new desk chair. And I'm thrilled that I'm actually sitting in something more comfortable, even though it's not nearly as cool looking. But today's topic for our podcast, Edward in Four Scenes. The subtitle, The Lord is Near the Brokenhearted. The Arkansas River starts in the Rocky Mountains near Leadville in central Colorado, flowing east-southeastward for 1,460 miles through Kansas, Oklahoma, and Arkansas before entering the Mississippi River, 40 miles northeast of Arkansas City, Arkansas. It has a total fall, get this, of 11,400 feet. 11,400 feet. Historically, the Arkansas River was very shallow through Arkansas and Oklahoma and was naturally incapable of supporting river traffic through most of the year. To allow for navigation, construction was started in 1963 on McClellan Kerr Arkansas River Navigation System, a series of pools, dams, and locks, 18 locks in all. The engineering feat was undertaken on the lower 445 miles of the river to overcome an elevation drop of 420 feet between the Tulsa Port of Catoosa and the end point, the mighty Mississippi. A lot of folks don't realize that you can navigate by ship. I saw this happen. I witnessed it there at Lock and Dam 13. You can navigate from Germany with a load of steel in one of those large ocean-going ships, transport ships, all the way into the heart of the United States in Tulsa, Oklahoma, through the Arkansas navigation system. Each 18 locks measures 110 feet wide and 600 feet long, the standard size for much of the Mississippi River water traffic. Standard jumbo barges measuring 35 feet by 195 feet are grouped three wide by three long with a tug at the center rear to form a barge tow which can be fit into one of those locks. Larger bar tows must be broken down and passed through the locks in sections and rejoined on the opposite side. So think about that. The locks are two football fields long. James W. Trimble Lock and Dam, known to the Fort Smith locals as Lock and Dam 13, is a fascinating place to take out-of-town guests. There's an observation deck at the lock that allows you to peer down into that vast pit that is the lock itself. Until you see it filled from point to point, all 600 feet, with a German cargo ship taking a load of steel to the port of Catoosa and the heart of the United States, you just can't grasp how big the lock is. It's amazing to watch an ocean-going cargo ship rise up and bloom in front of your very eyes. Since it is a public waterway, simple fishing boats and watercrafts are granted access as well in order to navigate the river. When a simple fishing boat enters from the lower end of the river, you get a real sense of overwhelming scale. Scene 1. In the summer of 1987, my wife and I took an out-of-town guest to see Lock and Dam 13. At that time, the location was pretty remote, and you always maintained an awareness 
of who was in the park in order to maintain proper safety. My wife, friend, and I were the only people at the park when we arrived. As we were standing there up on that deck, that observation deck, a car pulled up in the parking lot below. We watched from the elevated deck as an old car full of adults unloaded. And I mean, it was full. One of the men came up on the deck where we were and turned, leaned against the railing that held an explanatory map of the river. We acknowledged his presence. Then I kept discussing the map with my friend to help him understand the system. The man leaned there and stared at us. He was in a disheveled, mismatched suit, pants, coat, shoes. The situation made me feel a little uncomfortable. He was very close to us. Then he spoke to me with a speech impediment and asked, Can you explain this to me? I said, Sure, and started explaining it to him. I had barely begun to speak, and he broke in and said, You love Jesus, don't you? I said, Yes, sir, I do. He replied, I knew it, I knew it, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, Yes, sir, I am. I asked him if he was a Christian. He said, Yes, I am, I love Jesus. Then he asked me, do you love Jesus? I said, yes, I love Jesus. He replied, I knew it. I knew it. He then said, you know, Jesus is coming back soon. He then talked about how Jesus was going to come back for the Christians. By this time, my friend began to ask me, well, what about me? I mean, don't I look like a Christian? I turned and asked the man, what about my friend here? Is he a Christian? He looked at me, his facial features pulled back in a wince like fashion, and said, The Bible says, Judge not lest ye be judged. Of course, my friend was bothered by the statement. My friend kept questioning me, What, I, I don't look like a Christian? I'm a Christian. I directed my attention back to the man and asked him what his name was. He gave me his full name. His first name was Edward. I introduced myself. We talked just a little while longer than we left the park. It was such an out-of-ordinary encounter, we began to speculate about what it was all about. At one point, I even questioned if perhaps we had had an actual encounter with an angel. You know, the Bible reminds us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it says, Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Don't neglect hospitality. Don't neglect to show hospitality. For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Scene 2. Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Greenwood, Arkansas. Greenwood was just a few miles from Lock and Dam 13. It was at the end of the service, and as an associate pastor, I was down in the front of the pulpit, along with the pastor waiting to receive anyone who would respond to the altar call for salvation, church membership, and prayer. From the back right, I saw Edward making his way down the aisle. He walked over to me. He said, I want to give you this. He had a folded piece of notebook paper in his hand. He seemed to not recognize me from our meeting at Lock and Dam 13. I was excited to reconnect with him. I asked him, do you remember me? He said, no. Open the note and read it. I said, I met you at Lock and Dam 13. He didn't make the connection. He said, read the note. I opened the note and read it. The entire sheet of notebook paper was filled left to right, top to bottom with phrases, Jesus is love, God is love, 
Jesus is God, God is God, over and over. He said he wanted me to keep it. I asked him if he lived in Greenwood. He said yes, at the new nursing home, now called the Greenwood Retirement Center. Then he went back to his seat. Scene three. Monday, I went down to the retirement center to visit Edward. I went into the center, met up with one of the attendants, and asked her if she had a resident by the name of Edward. She said, yes, and we love Edward. He just makes everybody happy. I asked her the location of his room. She said, well, Edward's not in his room. He's around here somewhere. About that time, Edward came walking up. She said, Edward, you have a guest here to see you. This time he recognized me from the day before. He said, come here and go with me to my room. We walked down the hall and stopped in front of his door. He said, read this, and pointed to the sheet of notebook paper taped to the door. It had the same phrases written on it as the one he gave me. I looked it over. He said, read it out loud. So I read the entire sheet of phrases out loud. Then he invited me into his room, and the room was an old, tall, brown, wooded dresser, one chair, and a single twin bed. He pulled up the chair to face the side of the bed and said, sit down and talk to me. And he sat down on the bed. I told Edward I was glad to know that he lived right here in Greenwood. I was a little confused as to why Edward was in the nursing home. He was not old enough and didn't seem to have any health issues that would require the standard nursing care attention. At that time, there were no assisted living centers in the area. He told me that his brother put him there. He said that when his mama and daddy were living, that this would have never happened. He said he lived with his mama and daddy his whole life. His father died, and he still lived with his mother. When his mother died, his brother put him there. He was so sad that he'd been taken from his home and placed there. He then complained to me that he only got $5 a week as an allowance. He said, you can't even buy a candy bar and a Coke every day on $5 a week. He questioned me as to why God would leave him here on this earth when his mother died. He said he wanted to go to heaven. He began to cry. He said, people think I'm stupid because of the way I sound, the way I talk, but I can't help it because my tongue is messed up and it makes me talk this way. He said, but I'm not stupid. He said that he has as best as I could figure out seizures that caused him to get sick and vomit. He pointed to the floor. The new carpet was already heavily stained from his vomiting. The front of the dresser, I remember this distinctly, was covered in scratch marks that evidently occurred during his seizures. He began to express that he felt God had abandoned him to this place. He wanted to go to heaven and be with his mama and daddy. I told him, Edward, you can't think like that. As long as you are living, God has a purpose for your life. We went back and forth on this for some time. I reminded him about what the attendant had said about him in his presence, that he brightened everyone's day there at the center. After that visit, I did not see Edward back at church. I went by the nursing home to check on him. They said Edward was not here anymore. He had moved and they didn't know where he went. I was heartbroken and concerned. Another unusual encounter with Edward. Scene four. My home in Greenwood, Arkansas, watching Channel 40 Evening News. 
The news that evening featured a special on a new lodge built up in the mountains of northwest Arkansas for people with special needs. It was what we would call today an assisted living center. The reporter was talking as the camera panned from left to right as he commented on the beautiful setting you could see out the picture windows in the gathering hall. He said, this place was built for people like Edward. There was Edward, sitting at an upright piano. I called for my wife to get in here and see this. Edward made it. He said, Edward is an autistic savant. He's never had piano lessons in his life, yet he is an amazing piano player. He asked Edward to play something. Edward started playing You Are My Sunshine. My wife and I were blown away. God was faithful to his promise. In Psalm 34, 18, God says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. In Isaiah chapter 61, the Messiah's Jubilee, it says, The Spirit of the Lord of God, the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus read this the day that he started his public ministry. This is known the, the Jubilee year, the proclamation of Jubilee. But Jesus read this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is God is on me because the Lord has appointed me or anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify Him. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. That's good news today. That helps us to have equilibrium, that peace that passes understanding in the midst of an agitated world to know that the God of all creation is near the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed. That day that I sat in Edward's room and listened to him describe his condition, <clears throat> excuse me, and the situation he found himself in, one that was beyond his control, his heart was crushed. He was brokenhearted. He felt abandoned by God. And he kept telling me, I want to die. I want to go be with my mama. I want to be with Jesus. And he had lost hope about the fact that God, as long as we're living, has a purpose for our lives. And in the same way that he answered Edward's cry, he hears your cry. I want you to, today to know that if you're brokenhearted, that God cares for you. That God cares for you. He's near to you. And he sent Jesus to people just like you and me. And notice in Isaiah, that passage I read, it says nothing about what we used to call the beautiful people, rich, powerful, and elite. In Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Now, some of you may point to someone in your life that you know uh, that's a professing Christian, but they seem to live a life of abandonment and grief before God and ended their life in sorrow. They went to the grave in sorrow. 
You may hold them up in my face and say, but Kenny, what about them? To that, my friend, I remind you that this present life is not all that there is. That this present life is the beginning of the eternity of the soul. Compared to eternity, heaven with Jesus, and knowing him as our personal Lord and Savior, these brief moments are just a non-measurable blip on the radar of eternity. This is not to minimize our present suffering, but it's to put our present suffering in context. God heard Edward's cry and gave him relief here and now. To some, God says, wait, but deliverance is coming, my friend. The Apostle Paul suffered much, and he was optimistic that he would experience deliverance from jail in this present life when he was placed into jail by the Roman government. But it was not to be. History tells us that Paul was crucified upside down at the hands of the Roman government. You say, wow, well, that's encouraging. Yet here was Paul's perspective on the whole matter. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he said that for me to live to Christ, to, to, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Some then say, well, Paul was morbid and had a death wish. But my friend, this could not be further from the truth. Here is the truth. <clears throat> At the beginning of Paul's conversion to Christianity, converting from being a zealot murderer who tracked Christians down and pronounced judgment upon them, he had an immediate transportation into the third heaven where Jesus dwells. Once he accepted Jesus as his, his Savior and came to understand and know that Jesus was the promised Messiah to deliver people from their sin. When he converted, the Bible says he was immediately caught up into the third heaven. He saw things there that he was not permitted to report, but he was given the grand opportunity to see his final destination from the beginning. For Paul, he saw the real heaven. It emboldened him to carry out his life mission with boldness. He knew that ultimately he was invincible. It was just a matter of God's appointment, and he would be home with the resurrected Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Let this encourage you today to know that God is near to the brokenhearted. He acts on behalf of the crushed spirit. As you come to the place of placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, you will have peace that gives your core existence power and strength in the midst of an agitated world. As for me, I can't wait to see what Edward Scene 5 will bring. Dear friends, God is with you. God is here. This is my Father's world. He cares for you. He hears your cry. He hears your night cry. And in the midst of your struggles and in the midst of perhaps a deep heartache, a crushing blow to your spirit, I want you to know that God is right there with you. He cares. He sees. He knows and he has not forgotten you, and that he is working out all things for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Until next time, I bid you peace.